Thank you so much. It is always a joy and privilege to worship with you, and uh, I'm always grateful when Michael extends an opportunity for me to bring a message from God's Word. The support of this church, not only financially but in prayer, across the decades that Susan and I have been at Wares Valley Ranch uh, has, has been a vital part of what God has done and uh, is still doing there. And so we thank you. Please keep it up. We need your prayers. God is at work, and we are thankful. But we are entirely dependent on Him. There is no way for us to do what we do apart from the Lord's supernatural intervention. No government funds ever, no borrowing ever. Less than 5% of our income comes from the families of the kids. So where does it come from? Well, obviously our alumni are all very wealthy. They've gone on as soon as they get out of high school to make millions of dollars on the internet. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was all in Bitcoin. So, just kidding. Um, no, we, we count on God to continue to provide, and God continues to provide. And we are deeply thankful, and thank you again for all of you who have been a part of that. I want you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32, you'll find it, it's in there. And um, we're going to begin in verse 6. I'm really just lifting out a portion of this chapter. I hope you'll look at the whole thing. But um, we're going to start in verse 6 and then read from there. This is God's Word. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anatoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both sealed and unsealed, copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Now, after I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I don't know what translation of the Bible you were using to follow along, and I'm sure you are all following along, but um, I will tell you this. I'm just going to interject this. It's a delight to worship here anytime, but I noticed today you were particularly celebratory, and I like that because God likes that. You all were behaving in worship as if you knew that you were headed for hell and God turned the whole thing around, okay? So 
I mean, it, it was really nice. You, you acted as if going to heaven instead of to hell has made you joyful. And, and knowing Jesus along the way and having him living inside you has given you joy. I mean, that just really delights me and, and speaks well for you. So I, I thank God for that. Now, J- Jeremiah uh, was in a tough situation. Um, if you read the context of this passage, Jeremiah was in prison. When it talks about the courtyard of the guard, it's because he was in prison there. And the reason he was in prison was because he had been preaching a message that was considered not just not mainstream, it was considered treason. Treason. You see, Jeremiah was telling God's people that the foreign demon-worshipping king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was attacking their city, not only was going to win, but he was going to win because God would make sure he did. And anybody who resists Nebuchadnezzar is not just doing something that's not going to work, he's doing something that is a sin against God. You're sinning if you resist Nebuchadnezzar's takeover of our country. Can you see where that would not go over well? Isn't it a shame I couldn't preach this on July 4th weekend? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just wanting you to think with me about how it would sound to you if America was under attack by a foreign power and the message was, hey, God sent them. We just need to go ahead and surrender. I mean, you'd be excited about that, wouldn't you? Oh, hey, this is great. I don't have to fight. Pastor says God wants us just to surrender to that demon-worshipping foreigner. Jeremiah was considered a foreign agent. He wasn't. Not of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a foreign agent in the sense that he was representing the God of the universe and his kingdom. By the way, America, those of us who are Christians are supposed to be first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom, representing him and the lordship of Jesus Christ in a country that is increasingly hostile toward God. If we do that, some people are going to feel like we're out of line. Jeremiah had people who literally tried to kill him. And at this point, the government has him in prison for preaching the message God gave him to preach. He had already complained to God about having to preach this message. It was not a popular message, and he didn't like being persecuted. And God let him be persecuted. God didn't say, oh, don't worry, they won't touch you. God said, keep telling them the truth. 
So Jeremiah is in prison for preaching the truth that they are about to be overrun, that the enemy at the gate is going to win, that the city is going to be destroyed, that the houses are going to be burned down, temple's going to be burned down. I mean, it's all going to go. And the people who survive, and, and there are going to be a lot who won't survive, but the people who do survive, many of them are going to be carted off to Babylon as prisoners. But after 70 years, they get to come back. 70 years. Okay, do the math. How many people in this room are likely to still be above ground in 70 years? Okay, some of you will. I see you, young man. Okay. He's like, I'm going to make it, <laughs> okay, okay. That's why I wore this nice red shirt. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be fine. Some, some of you right here, you're, you're going to be all right. 70 years from now, you think, I, I can last that long. Yeah, but let me tell you something. You too, buddy, you'll be fine. Let, let, let me tell you something. In 70 years, you're all going to be older than me. And if that doesn't scare you, <laughs> okay, I'm 68 years old. I'm younger than Michael. I'm 68 years old. In 70 years, I do not expect to be preaching at Apostles. <laughs> now, what's America, American Christian's favorite verse right now? Which well, John 3.16. Okay, apart from that, that, that's, that doesn't count. For the, for the people who really want to feel like they know their Bible, what's, what's their favorite verse? It's from Jeremiah, actually. Jeremiah 29. That's everybody's favorite verse. That's, that's what we put now on the front of our diary. We put that on a little plaque in the kitchen. We put that as a little sticker on our bathroom mirror. We want to be reminded all the time, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that good? Read the context, folks. He's talking about what's going to happen 70 years later. He's talking to the nation. He's saying in 70 years, it's all going to be good. You're going to get to come back home. All right, now Jeremiah was the guy who delivered that message. And now he gets a word from the Lord that says, you're about to have an opportunity to purchase some property Go ahead and purchase it. Who was that? You got to be kidding. Purchase property here? I'm in prison for saying that this place is about to be wiped out. I gave some examples in the 9 o'clock service. Somebody suggested another one afterwards. I think it's a good one. I've got three kids from Ukraine. Right now, if I offered to sell you a five-story building in the Donbass region of Ukraine. <laughs> Just see me after the service, okay? We can, uh, it's, it, that building cost hundreds of thousands to build. I can sell it to you right now for 500 bucks, okay? 
You don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to, are you kidding? Why, why would I buy my, my cousin's land? Why would I do that? that? That just doesn't seem right. I mean, I'm in prison for proclaiming that we're going to be destroyed, and now you're telling me to purchase property here? And so it says in verse 8, this is important. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it and buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field. All right, now here's the thing. As I said a few moments ago and then went down a rabbit trail, um, if you're using the NIV Bible, it doesn't say, then I knew that this is the word of the Lord, okay? It, I've got the NIV Bible right here. I love the NIV Bible, but, but it doesn't say, then I knew. Uh, now, if you have the real Bible, the King James Bible, <laughs> it says, then I knew. And some of you are laughing because you know that I don't really mean that when I say that's the real Bible. But if you have the New American Standard Bible, it says, then I knew. Okay? And if you have the ESV, which is what young Reformed people like, it says, then I knew. And if you have the CSB, which is the Baptist attempt at getting a corner of the market, um, the CSB says, then I knew. If you have the New Living Translation, it says, then I knew. And so why did the NIV leave that out? Because they made a mistake, that's why. Okay? God doesn't make mistakes. Bible translators sometimes do. That's why you need to really study. All right? But I'll tell you something. The way we know that it should be translated, then I knew, is context. Read what it says, for goodness sake. Jeremiah gets a word from the Lord that doesn't make sense to him. And I'm going to tell you, if you study God's Word, you need to believe everything God says. Because it's all true. The verse starts out, then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came. You know what? Everything in the history of the universe is just as the Lord has said. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Because when God speaks, he speaks things into being. The devil has spent his entire career lying and calling God a liar. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. God's word is true all the time, every bit of it. And everything happens just as God said. So you may not have seen it yet, but you keep believing because God is going to do what he said. It all comes to pass just as he said. So just as the Lord had said, my cousin showed up. And then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. 
Now, prior to that, God wasn't contradicting himself. God never contradicts himself. But sometimes God says this, and we say, okay, I believe that. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. There we go. And then God says this, and we say, uh, really? Now, um, I, I was believing this. Well, you need to keep on believing that. Well, how am I supposed to reconcile that to this? You're not. You're just supposed to believe everything God says. Say, so, well, so you're saying there are contradictions in the Bible? Never. There are no contradictions in the Bible. But there are things in the Bible that are hard for us to understand. 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says some of the scriptures that the Apostle Paul wrote are hard to understand. If St. Peter could have trouble understanding some things, you can too. And if you run across a preacher, and I'm not talking about Michael, Michael's humble, godly, honest. But if you run across a preacher who thinks they've got it all sorted out and that they understand the whole thing, if, there's any, if you have any questions, just ask me. I got it. I understand. I can, I can tell you. I can tell you the answer. Whatever it is, I got it. Oh, read my book on that. Okay? Don't listen to that person. 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see as in a mirror dimly. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part. Then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. One of those preachers who thinks he knows it all right now, who shall remain nameless, says that 1 Corinthians 13, talking about seeing in a mirror dimly, that was talking about before the completion of the canon. No. Read 1 Corinthians 13. It's talking about when we shall see face to face as opposed to now when we don't. Let me tell you something. If you haven't found anything that God said that was hard for you to understand, you haven't read enough of the Bible. You need to keep reading and keep learning and keep believing everything he says and don't assume that because our finite minds can't grasp it all and reconcile it all, then maybe it's not true. It's true. It's true. Now, Jeremiah, when he saw the word of the Lord fulfilled and his cousin shows up and offers him the chance to buy the land, Jeremiah bought the land. He obeyed God even though it didn't make sense to him. Okay, why would I want to buy land? Why would I want to take my silver and buy land in a place that's about to get destroyed and not re-inhabited for 70 years? Why would I want to do that? Does not make sense. But I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because God said so. You do what God says. We work hard to teach the kids at Wares Valley Ranch to obey and then ask questions. And parents, you need to teach your children to obey and then they can ask questions. And grandparents, if your kids are having a hard time teaching their kids that, it's probably because you didn't do a very good job teaching them. So you can apologize to your children and say, I'm sorry I didn't make that very clear to you, but you know, kids really need to obey and then ask questions. Now, a lot of the kids that I work with over the years are kids who've been victims of abuse 
and molestation, and often within the family. So when I teach the kids at the ranch that they need to obey and then ask questions, there's a very, very, very important caveat that I want to be sure and clarify right here, right now. Please hear this. Not just kids, but everybody hear this. No one has authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands. No one has authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands. You might want to write that down. No one has authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands. So if somebody, dear child, tries to get you to do something that you know God says is not okay, you don't obey that authority figure. I don't care who they are. Parent, grandparent, uncle, babysitter, school teacher, police officer, pastor, whoever it may be, if somebody tries to get you to do something that you know God says is wrong, you do not do it. You report it. But I'll tell you something. If the reason that you don't want to do it is just because you don't, you don't like it, when my kids were young and I'd say, okay, it's time to go up and get ready for bed, they all immediately would jump up and say, yes, sir, and go upstairs. <laughs> That's not true. If I told them, to do, why do we have to go now? Obey, and then you can ask questions. Okay? If the reason you're being told to do something is not abundantly clear to you, you are welcome to ask, why did you want me to do that? Why do I have to after you've done it. Why is that important? Because parents, we're supposed to be training our kids in how they're supposed to respond to God. And you and I are not in a position to ask God to explain himself to us and then we'll decide if we want to do it or not. James 1 says if you want to know the will of God, God will reveal it to you as long as you're not double-minded. What's a double-minded person? Double-minded person says, I want to know what God says, and then I'll decide. James 1 says, don't think you're going to get anything from God. But if you say, okay, God, I don't know what you want me to do, but whatever it is, I'm writing you a blank check. I'll do whatever you say. God will give you direction. He'll show you what you're supposed to do if you're already committed to doing it. It's a relationship of trust. Now, no parents are perfect, but God is. And you can count on him not only to do everything he says, but you can count on him to have your best interest at heart and to do what is best for you even when you don't understand why he's asking you to do what he's asking you to do. So Jeremiah did what the Lord told him to do, and then he prayed. And if you were to read this prayer, which we didn't read, if you were to read this prayer, he says, God, I know that you're God, and I know that you have rescued us, and, and, and I know that you said now because of our sin that Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy the place, and, 
And he's, it's, it, what you said is going to happen is happening. Nebuchadnezzar is right at the city wall, and I, and I, I know your word is true, and, and, and now you want me to buy property? Now, I've already done it. I've already registered the deed. I did what you said, but could you please help me understand this? And what does God say to him? Verse 26, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? You know what you need to know about God? He's God, okay? He's, he's not you. He's God. Hence, you are not God. Hence, you need to obey God. So when God says, don't do that, you better not do that. And when God says, do this, you need to say, okay. And when it's scary, you need to still go ahead and say, okay. Because God has all power, and if he says, yes, we've got 5,000 men plus women and children and a little boy's lunch, let's feed these folks. It's like, oh, that, would, that would take a miracle. And Jesus is like, I specialize in miracles. Okay? Here, you have the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Uh, why do we need to sit down in groups of 50 and 100? I think I'm just going to stand. Well, then you're not going to eat. <laughs> sit down. Oh, well, I, don't, I don't see why, but Okay. We'd like to have uh, 120 in our group. We like that number better. Jesus said groups of 50 and 100. (laughs) Okay. I really, I mean, I don't understand this. You don't have to understand it. Just do what he says. You're about to see something that is greater than anything you can imagine. Obey God. I mean, doesn't that seem simple? It is until it's us. Okay? I mean, we can explain that to anybody. We can tell people, you just, you just need to trust God and obey. That's what you need to do. And then God tells us something, and we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and God says, well, obey, and then you can ask me about it. What happens if you're not a kid And the authority figure isn't your parent. The authority figure is the government. And the government says, you can't do what God says. You got to do what we say. I I can't see that happening. (laughs) Well, you're not paying attention. Let's suppose you work for the government schools, or in the U.S. military, or some other branch of government service, which employs, I think, now about 85% of America. Um, uh, That's an exaggeration. I don't really think that. But there are a whole lot of people working for the government these days, and there are other people in private concerns who have government contracts. Let's suppose that the government says to you, That when Jim Wood decided to become Jane Wood, you've got to respect that decision 
and you got to say, yes, ma'am, to Jane. Okay? Because Jane shaved his beard, and, and uh, Jane's wearing heels. Okay? So now you gotta, you got to treat the wood party as Jane. Okay? What are Christians supposed to do? Tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Well, I don't want to seem like a bigot. You shouldn't be a bigot. Well, I don't want to be hateful. You shouldn't be hateful. But if you perpetuate insanity, you're not being kind. If, if a person with anorexia wants you to help them lose weight, is it loving to say, okay, how much do you want to lose? Okay, I'm here for you. I love you. No. Now, that doesn't mean we become our own little police force running around trying to correct everybody and tell people you're wrong. Don't do that. It does mean that we don't go along with the lie and pretend that something that isn't true is true. Well, you're going to lose your government contract. Okay, we lose our government contract. Well, you're going to lose your job. Okay, lose my job. Jeremiah was in prison. He was in prison. Why? For telling the truth. He didn't want to do it. God told him to do it. He obeyed God. And boy, I bet he regretted that. I'll tell you this, when you meet Jeremiah, and I hope you do, okay, because he's in heaven and I'd like for you to go there too. When you meet Jeremiah, he's not going to be saying, oh man, I hope you didn't obey God. <sighs> Boy, I'm, I'm so sorry I did that. No, he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. Now I'll tell you something. You will never make a smarter decision in life than to obey God. That is, that's the smartest thing you can possibly do. Anywhere, anytime, obey God. Well, why, Jeremiah, do I want you to spend your money to buy some real estate that you're never going to get to enjoy personally? Because your money belongs to me, and what I want you to do is to invest it in a way that is going to show your confidence in my promise that there is a future and a hope. If you want a summary statement, a take-home, as Christians, we are to be a people who live a sacrificial life of obedience based on our imperishable hope for the future. As Christians, we are to be a people who live a sacrificial life of obedience based on our imperishable hope for the future. You see, I was headed for hell, and he saved me. And he told me 
that he's gone to prepare a place for me and that he's going to come again and take me to be with him. And so I don't have to be afraid no matter what happens. If there's an EMP that wipes out the grid and suddenly it's not just our cell phones that don't work, it's our refrigerators and possibly even our home generators because they got fried by an electromagnetic pulse. How, how would that happen? I'll be happy to explain that some other time. But let me just tell you, America is not prepared for an EMP, okay? And all our Defense Department people know it, and they've warned Congress, and so, is that what you believe is going to happen? Folks, we may not be around to have an EMP. Pastor, I don't like where you're going with this. I just, I mean, I come to church, I'm already struggling with fears and anxieties. I come here in order to feel better, okay? The worship team did a great job, I was really having a wonderful time, and now you are making me feel like something bad might happen to me. I told the folks in the first service, people call me all the time to ask me to pray for them, and they tell me they've gotten a dreaded diagnosis, okay? The doctor says I only have... I, one of my dear friends, now in heaven, said, you know, they, they tell me I probably only have about four weeks left. The doctor was right. Okay? Wow. I know a person who went in on a Thursday with what they thought was bursitis, and they were gone on Saturday and not back to their house they came from. So what do you tell the people who call you and tell you they've got a grim diagnosis? If I know them well, after we've talked for a little while, I say, you need to know you may not live long enough to die of this disease. And they say, oh, thank you. I feel so much better. <laughs> okay? Why would you tell somebody something like that? They were looking for comfort. Well, I also typically tell them, you may outlive your doctor. And I've had that happen. One of our board members was diagnosed with glioblastoma, which is a death sentence, okay? And um, she was driving down for treatment, and my wife and I intercepted right up here at Mount Perrin Road, okay, and said, let's pray. And we prayed. And I looked at her. She said, I know God's got this. I, I'm trusting him. And I said, well, let me tell you something. You may not live long enough to die of this illness, but you may outlive your doctor. Well, her doctor died, but she's been healed. She's back on our executive committee of the board. She's back practicing law in Alabama. She is homeschooling her kids, and it's going on three years, okay? That's not the prognosis for a person with a glioblastoma, but it's what God decided to do. And the folks at Duke are looking at her scans and saying, we can't explain this. Because it's not, it's not only not looking worse, it's like we can't see where it was. Well, did she have surgery? Oh, yeah. Well, did she do chemo? Oh, yeah. 
Did she do radiation? Yeah. Why would you say God healed her? Because normally you have the surgery, you do chemo and radiation, and then you die. Okay? But God decided to heal her. I've seen God heal so many times, I know he still works miracles. I know he does. But I've also seen Christian people, wonderful Christian people, walking in obedience to God, and God took them. Lovely Christian, just a couple of miles from the ranch, riding along in a vehicle with her husband and a bunch of friends, and a tree fell on that vehicle, and she was gone. She didn't die at the hospital. She was gone. She was crushed. Now I'm going to be afraid to leave the parking lot. Don't be afraid to leave the parking lot. Don't be afraid to get up in the morning. Don't be afraid to go to bed at night. Don't be afraid. The Bible says God has already numbered your days. That's good news. So how many do I have left? I don't know. I don't know. What I know is God knows, and it's all planned, and it's good. It's good. Don't be afraid. So, in light of that, you and I can make financial decisions not just based on where our financial analyst suggests it's going. Ask God what to do. Well, how do you hear from God? By obeying what you already know. Why should God give you new information about what to do when you're not doing what he said with the information he already gave you? Amen? If, I know, if God says, do this, don't do that, and I say, oh, I kind of like this. Now what should I do? You should repent. That's what you should do. <laughs> if you've been sinning, repent. And the wonderful thing is God isn't saying, there, no, I'm sorry, you blew it, that's it, forget it. I mean, I'm done with you. God isn't like that. Jesus came to save sinners. And that means I'm on the list. Okay? He saves people like me. He saves people like you. But he doesn't forgive us so that we can continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. You and I need to be eager to do God's will because we know that he loves us and therefore we can trust him. He already knows the future. He knows what's best for us. He made us. He knows what's going to give you joy. You think, well, no, I think this would give me joy. That's what Eve thought. That fruit looked good. Kind of like that fruit. And he says it's going to make me wise. I think that's what he said. There was kind of a hiss. (laughs) Folks, just believe God. Just do what he says. Don't be afraid. Trust him. I tell this story often. I'm sure I've told it here. But it is, to me, one of the sweetest pictures of how we're supposed to live. When Susan and I were adopting three kids from an orphanage in Ukraine 20 years ago, we had never been to that orphanage, we'd never been to that village, we'd never met these kids. 
But God had told us we were supposed to adopt the three of them as a sibling group. And when those kids got word that they were going to be adopted by some Americans, the oldest of the three believed the promise and began giving his most prized possessions to his friends at the orphanage. Why? He wasn't a Christian. Why would he give away his favorite stuff? Because he knew he was going to a better place. How did he know he was going? Because he believed the promise. Let me tell you, folks, that's the way we're supposed to live our lives. If you believe the promise and you know you're going to a better place, then you can live a life of sacrificial generosity here and now. So are you saying if we really believe God, we're supposed to give everything away? No, I'm saying if you really believe God, you're supposed to do whatever he says. Do whatever he tells you. Whatever he tells you, just obey him. Well, I, I think maybe God is saying that I'm supposed to have a closet full of food so that when hard times come, and hard times are coming, then, then I'll be able to have plenty to eat. Well, I think maybe you're supposed to have a closet full of food, but not just for you. Oh. See, so you're saying I don't need that much food? No, I'm saying maybe you need more, but not for you. For you to be able to help others. Amen? And, 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 and I'm thinking God's telling me I'm not supposed to store up anything in, in, in the closet or the basement or the attic. I'm, I'm just supposed to give it away right now. Well, then that's what you need to do. Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have great reward in heaven, then come follow me. Well, then that's what you need to do. Just do what he tells you. Do what he tells you. I'm going to revisit it. How do I get instruction from God? By doing what he's already told you. Well, I, I've never heard God speak to me. Well, then you're not paying attention. Okay, this is it. Right here. Go with what God says in his word. This is his word. It's totally true. You can believe it. You can stake your life on it. It's worth going to prison for. Do what God says. It's here. Believe it. Well, would he really tell me in the Bible to buy some real estate? If you're doing what it says in here and God wants you to buy real estate, he will do whatever it takes to make that clear to you. If you're not doing what it says in here, don't look for stock tips. I hope that's clear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this precious precious family, for people who love you and we're going to be together forever. All who are in Christ Jesus are yours forever. We have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for us. Thank you, Lord, that one day we're going to see you face to face, and because of Jesus, we will not have to be ashamed. We pray now that you would take your word, plant it deep in our hearts, and cause us to live it out. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.